0: "'North of Dublin was a toilet, and the tourists were welcome to it. "'As well as the culchies, of course. "'Savages, the lot of them. "'Cute whores trying to take the eye out of your head without you noticing, "'and even then their left hand not letting on to the right what it was up to. "'There was the crazy kid on the wall, as usual. "'No dog, though. "'Maybe it was dead, or arrested for harassing motorists. "'Could dogs actually be banged up for that? "'Now she was legging it ahead of him into town.' Was there no justice in the world at all any more? He needed a career break, he thought, as he picked his nose and chewed on the harvest. And a good ride. Clear the blood a bit. Maybe he should shag the Macdonald woman. He shuddered. Ah, now, lads, stall on. He must really be losing it if he was contemplating that. Imagine her bouncing up and down on top of him, folds of overripe flesh quivering long after he'd done with her, orange lipstick smeared across those crooked teeth. All the better to eat you with, my dear. That wasn't an image to dwell on, either. And while he was at it, if he found one more orange mouth-print on his teacup in the morning, he was going to say something. He was. Definitely. And move B&Bs. If he could afford it. He checked on the passengers in the rear-view mirror. Usual lot of tossers and losers. A few Germans in search of the real Ireland. And a load of bumpkins back from a day out in the big smoke. He could hardly understand a word any of them said, with the big old bog accents on them. That went for the Irish, too. If he hadn't been so far gone he'd have laughed at his own joke, but stopping every quarter of a bleeding mile to deliver the locals to their bloody doors had his heart broken. This evening there was only one item of exotica on display, a woman on the back row who'd slept all the way from Dublin. As he looked at her, the woman stirred and opened her eyes. She caught her reflection in the bus window as the hedgerows passed gently by. Recognising no one, she drifted off again. Bit of a looker, thought Jack, and a bit drunk too, if the shape of her when she was buying her ticket was anything to go by. Maybe she'd need a cure when she woke up. Maybe she'd missed her stop along the way, and he could show her a good time in Limerick later, if it was humanly possible to find a good time in that shithole. He needed cheering up, no mistake. And anything was better than ploughing into the widow McDonagh. The cows decided to take a right into a field that looked like any other to his eyes. Dumb animals. He eased the bus forward past them, then cut loose along the potholed road to the town of Kilbrody. That should jolt a bit of life into all concerned. It'd be forty-five minutes late arriving. As if he gave a flying fuck. Charlie Finn was beginning to think that it was a bad idea to have the dartboard so close to the toilet door as a missile thudded into the outermost ring of the target. Luckily, the latest exit tee of the gents was a bare five-foot-one, and walked with a natural stoop, well below the arc of the arrow so violently flung by a drunken neighbour. No rancour involved, just a lot of alcohol fueling the vehemence. The importance of being seen to be still totally in control. A typical Tuesday evening, then. A tiny nod from a customer signaled the pulling of another pint. Charlie reached for the glass and three-quarters filled it with a hush of liquid, the waves of effervescent foam settling and separating into a handsome division of black topped by a creamy head. He could almost taste its smooth, bitter darkness. "'The bus is in,' old Mikey Byrne observed. The stragglers at the bar nodded at the wisdom and sheer accuracy of the statement. At last, Charlie rejoined, to more accord from the barflies. We'll have reinforcements so, Mikey continued, in time-honoured tradition. And please God plenty of them, says you, he directed graciously to Charlie, landlord of the establishment. Please God, Charlie acknowledged, reaching for the waiting pints of stout to finish them off, slowly and lovingly, under the watchful gaze of the experts lining the counter. Ritual was everything. Old Mikey's gnarled and hairy paw engulfed the glass, and he lowered a good half of the pint before declaring, "'Tis thirsty work all the same.' He met with no argument, and nodded his head of startled grey hair like the dog on the back shelf of a car, always agreeing with life. Kathy Long exploded through the door, spilling the late sunlight in her wake across the dull stone floor. The codgers at the bar instinctively turned their backs, lest the light dissolve them from their dreamlike vampire existence, shielding their precious pints from an unwelcome and most likely hostile outside world. Where is he? Kathy asked Charlie. He nodded towards the usual corner. Her dad was involved in a convoluted argument with the whinge O'Brien. "'who was threatening to run for the local county council "'after planning permission was denied him "'for an ugly bungalow his wife had wanted built "'nearer than was allowed to the main road. "'Discrimination, pure and simple,' insisted the whinge. "'It's nothing but punishment for doing well. "'But sure, anyway, weren't they always a mean shower of shites, them lot? "'And doesn't every dog and divil walk in the street know that?' "'Tom Long had reached a point well past inebriation,' where he was thinking almost cogently again, but more or less unable to articulate his responses. It was the stage of the day he loved and the one his daughter detested. He was anaesthetized. She saw a drunk. Ah, it's my own darling girl, he declared, for all to hear. Cathy doubled over on herself to make her presence as small as possible. She hated the attention. She hated this place. She hated her dad dinner, she growled, and I'm not waiting for you. Though of course she did, outside. The bus was disgorging its cargo. Kill roared Jack the driver. He shook his head at the childlike delight of the tourists, excited at being amongst the natives. Gob does the lot of them. What was there here to please them so much? An uppity two-horse town with a rake of pubs, a chemist a few huckster shops and a grotty café. He didn't get the Clare thing. Beyond the towns and villages was nothing but rock and scotch and eventually the sea. The famous Burren was supposed to have rare plants and the like, but he never saw any of it. And anyway, so what? All there was by way of nightlife was a few hairy owl fellas banging on bowrons and sawing away at fiddles with mad diddly idle music. No clubs. No babes, no action, no thanks. The woman on the back row shook herself upright and headed for the door. Are you sure, love? he asked her. You could stay on with me and we'll have a mad night of it in Limerick. For a moment he almost believed that any or all of that last statement was possible. She looked through him and out onto the main street. Across the road a large sign over a door said Finns, and, seeming satisfied that this was where she'd wanted all along, she crossed the road and went through the door. Bitch, Jack muttered to anyone who chose to hear. He slammed the bus into gear and tried to take off with a movie-like screech of tires. The vehicle hulked and balked, then sluggishly picked up a pace and headed for the nearby hills. Jack glanced in the rear-view mirror along the near-empty aisle. Silently watching him from the back seat was a handbag. "'Oops,' he thought, smiling. "'Someone's forgotten her bag. "'Too bad I didn't notice it till we got to Limerick.' Charlie consulted the pub clock, prominent above the empty fireplace. Eight o'clock. "'Dear Jesus, another three and a half hours to go. "'That was if he managed to shift everyone out on time, "'and there was precious little chance of that.' Might as well call it another five hours and be done. He reached for a packet of dry-roasted peanuts and poured himself a lemonade. No point in letting his sugar levels plummet him into a worse place than where he was headed. This was his twilight zone, the terrible hours when he switched to autopilot, and his mind fevered the same old questions. Why had he come home at all, really? Or more importantly, why had he stayed on then when his immediate business was done? And what had he come back to? A place where he'd always be known as Young Finn, in spite of his forty-three years. Owl lads marking his card with that name and their seniority, like cats spraying territory. Sure I remember you when you were in nappies. Oh, the punters called him Charlie or Charles while in the pub, but it's what they call you behind your back that matters and defines you in their eyes, and that would always be Young Finn. Tom Long got to his feet, leaving the whinge in mid-complaint. He nodded to Charlie on his exit and announced to the gathering that the War Department had summoned him. They threw their eyes to heaven in acknowledgement of a universal situation. The door opened. Light made a brief, unsuccessful foray. Then the usual torpor settled itself once more. Even the whinge was silenced. Standing Sentinel at the bar,